It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. So, first of all, um, how was the campaign for you? Well, I guess the measure of success is that I was re-elected, so that's, I'm delighted. Um, and, you know, like many other colleagues, got the highest number of votes were cast for a Conservative candidate in the constituency for, you know, many, many years. And my share of the vote went up slightly, but obviously majority went down. So I'm very sad to see really good colleagues go, in some cases just after two years. Look, and I think the overall national campaign, I think lots has been said, um, but, you know, we did not do ourselves any favours at all. Lots of mistakes made, lots of assumptions made. And I think the most worrying thing is the fact that we've lost the votes, not just of young people. I, I think apparently I'm the last Conservative MP representing a university. Um, but, uh, you know, so we lost sort of students, but also, you know, people I'd consider, well, perhaps not even middle age, up to my age, you know, it, it's um, up into the mid-40s. And many public sector workers as well just sort of said... Um, you know, thanks but no thanks. And so I think there's some pretty hard lessons and hard things that the party's got to ask itself. I think, do you think there was little to offer young people in the manifesto? Look, I think, the honest truth, there was, there was little to offer many people. Um, you know, when, when you get uh, on the doorstep and you meet a, an older person or a student or a small business owner or a mum, um, you know, and they say, what's in it for me? You know, you need specific things to be able to say, well, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. And there's sometimes there'll be tough things as well, you know, like, actually, yes, we are going to continue to um, bear down on public spending in order to pay off the deficit, but we've done this on tax rates, we've done this on, you know, childcare. And, and really, none of that came through in the style of campaign that we, that we ran. Yeah. Do you think it was taken for granted a little bit? I think that the so-called large opinion poll going into the campaign led many people to conclude it was all going to be fine and frankly we had the liberty of setting out not only some unpalatable difficult policies but then assuming that everyone was going to vote for them. Um, and of course there was also a big assumption this is going to be a Brexit election and actually people would vote and, and actually the 48% could be ignored because actually everybody will now come to terms with the fact that we need the EU. And I think that that's really not happened. Yes. There are lots of people in areas like mine and people like me who voted very firmly to remain, but except there was a Democratic vote last year, which our side didn't win, and that's going to happen. But to be sort of sidelined and ignored and told you're not patriotic um, is a little bit much for people. So where do you think Brexit needs to go now? Would you like to see a kind of cross-party approach? I would. I'd like to see a cross-party consensus. I mean, I think that the government has an opportunity, and Theresa May has an opportunity now, to build a a genuine cross-party consensus across the House. Because it is true that both the main parties stood on manifestos where we talked about leaving the European Union. But I think the shape of Brexit, the decisions made in Lancaster House, uh, speech around single market and customs union, um, free movement of people, the prioritisation given to immigration as opposed to jobs in the economy, they are things that actually should be looked at in the context of building that broad consensus. You know, we have a chance before the German elections happen, before the Brexit negotiations on the trading relationship going forward really take off. 
to actually for the government to understand what Parliament will support and what it won't support. Because at the end of the day, I think the only way to uh, draw the uh, the poison, if you like, out of politics caused by caused by Brexit is to get the vast majority of the House of Commons, you're never going to get everybody, but the vast majority of the House of Commons and therefore hopefully the vast majority of the country actually coalescing around a shake-off of Brexit. Um, and you know, that's something that can only be done by ministers from the top really, really driving that, providing that leadership. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say there is talent in other parties. You know, Keir Starmer is, you know, he's done some good work. Absolutely. I think, I think for any party to assume that it has all the answers on something as fundamental to the future of this country as Brexit would be a huge mistake. Yes, of course there'll be differences. And to be partisan for a moment, I, I think that I think Keir has worked very hard on this. I think he's sometimes let down by his party leadership um, who don't really still have a clear view. And I can't really clearly still say what the Labour Party position on Brexit or facets of Brexit like single market membership and things actually are. Um, although I know that you know that that obviously does get uh, get talked about, but the other thing is there's backbenchers on all sides who have a real vested interest in making uh, Parliament well, uh, speaking up Parliament in this process and helping the government to reach that consensus, which means they get the maximum number of people supporting a final deal. Yeah. Um, going back to backbenchers, mm. I think there's a bit more opportunity now for you to be a little bit more outspoken. <laughs> I think the whips might say I've been outspoken enough. <laughs> I was going to say, coming on to that, do you think, what do you think of George Osborne's front pages in his new job? I think George is having a, uh, I think he's making the most of his freedoms as a newspaper editor rather than being a, a member of parliament. Yeah, and you know, I mean, obviously, partly it's obviously it's good for the evening standards, I'm guessing, in terms of, of region and everything else. Um, but, uh, but you know, it also adds to, to political debate. And, and, and I think one of the things, one of the positive consequences if you want to look at it this way but you know events of the last two years and the referendum is that more people are engaged in politics I think than ever before um, people were talking about it on their time you know there wasn't a need to remind people about the general election um, sometimes in elections you have to go and knock on doors say people and they go oh an election oh is it happening that, there was none of that people knew about it young people were very motivated that's that's a good thing but we've got to harness that energy in you know in, in, in a way that as I say builds maximum consensus for some big and it's not just Brexit, there's some really big issues facing the country. You know, we saw the campaign very sadly interrupted by two terrorist incidents, including the Grenfell Tower disaster, you know, so extremism, housing. I'm really pleased the Prime Minister talked about mental health as much as she does. For me that's a personal issue I really care about. Um, I know she does too. Um, you know, there's some, some really big challenges facing the country. And again, if we just say it's only Conservatives have got the answers for this, then I think that's a mistake. Yeah. In terms of mental health, are you worried that, um, obviously, in the Queen's speech there was yeah. something dedicated to it, but there was no mention of the 10,000 nurses? No, they made an announcement about that yesterday, okay. um, and mental health professionals in schools and everything else. And I think, you know, we need to look at the detail, how that's obviously going to be funded, how they're going to be trained, where they are. I mean, I think what we talking fun enough um, to some mental health professionals yesterday, we shouldn't forget the role of school nurses. Mm -hmm. And what we don't want to do is to reinvent the wheel when actually there are people already in many schools who could do an excellent job and provide that service, but there'll be other places in the country where those people aren't uh, employed or don't um, exist in the same way. So I think we have to make sure that the policy is nuanced to really reflect what's needed on the ground. And in terms of schools, yeah. um, grammar schools seems to have been quite, quite quietly shelved. Um, obviously, you weren't a fan of the policy. Yeah. So, yeah. what are your thoughts? Well, I, 
you know, I, um, I mean, the, the, the consequence, the reason it shelved is obviously because my party didn't win a majority, and I'm very sad about that. Um, but I think it's, um, you know, it, it's, it is the right thing for education. My view was always that the Department of Education, like any department, if you ask it to do too many things, it loses focus on what really needs to be done. Yes. And actually, by asking them to reopen the debate on selection, asking ministers to take, you know, what will be contentious legislation through the House, actually, that focus on what Justine has called opportunity areas, I think I've called achieving excellence areas, is lost. And we know there are parts of the country where the education is not yet good enough for young people. I think that's deeply unfair on those young people, and the focus has got on that. And I was never convinced that those are the sorts of areas that would jump to wanting selective school. Um, so I really hope that this means now, and I'm pretty sure it does, from everything Justine has said, that she's going to focus on those parts of the country, those big challenges, those, those areas now uh, of educational underperformance. Do you think she's doing a good job? I do. I mean, I think it's a very hard job. You know, you're always in the wrong. Um, there's always people who are, you know, wanting to, to criticise everything else. Um, but I think her heart is absolutely in, you know, making sure everyone gets great education and her heart is in social mobility and I think if she's allowed and given the freedom to really focus on that plus I think sorting out school funding which is obviously another issue I think she'll do she'll do brilliantly in this department. And what do you think you talked sort of briefly earlier about harnessing the kind of engagement from young people and stuff I guess traditionally that seems to be a little bit more challenging for, for conservatives yeah how do you think that how do you think that looks in the future? Well, I think there's a number of things. I mean, I think, um, you know, I was talking about this with one of our newest and youngest members of Parliament yesterday, and I think if we think that that's all solved just by doing more on social media, that would be wrong. I think, actually, what young people uh, really respond to are politicians being clear about their values, about why they want to do things, about being honest, about the choices that are before them, and explaining why. So things on tuition fees, um, I think uh, it's not enough just to say, well, where's the money going to come from? Actually, what you need to do is then unpick... You know, if we cut tuition fees or didn't have them, that would mean far fewer people going to university because we as a country would not want, would not have the money to be able to afford them. So we recognise that tuition fees um, you know, are something that people are very aware of having that debt when they leave university. On the other hand, that means they get a job. And, and so you know, I think explaining all that, not just assuming that young people, you know, in the campaign we kind of assume, if you talk about the IRA, um, that everyone would know what that's about. Well, actually, if you're under the age of 40, you haven't lived through a period when the IRA were active or, or, or you know, other terrorist organisations. So, actually, um, I think that, you know, we've got to go back to first principles and explain these things to really engage young people in debate and the battle of ideas, because I think they are really up for that battle, yeah. um, and the Conservative Party has kind of left that space vacant. Could you ever see a Tory leader on, uh, on stage at Glastonbury? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, whether Glastonbury is the right place, I mean, I think that there is also a thing about knowing, I, I mean, I've never been to Glastonbury, but I think there was some criticism, people saying, oh, do we have to have politics at, at, at Glastonbury? On the other hand, politics matters enormously to everything that we do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope that they're on stage there as much as they're on stage at the um, Saga conference. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and in terms of sort of how the long-term future looks for the party... Do you think that, are you confident in the stability of things at the moment? Um, I, I think that the Conservative Party, Parliamentary Party and wider party in the, the country, the membership, absolutely want the government to get on with governing. I think they want them to get the Brexit negotiations started, which they've done, I think it's right. I think it's right that the Queen's speech goes through, I think it'll go through unamended, um, and that Theresa May has set out that programme for, for the government. 
Um, and um, you know, I think absolutely there is there is you know a need for for stability and a need for certainty and for clarity. Um, the Conservative Party has a big challenge ahead of it, which is we've got to work at how do we sort of renew ourselves in government, if you like, reflect the fact that after seven years things have changed. You know, there's a big debate about uh, public spending and you know, the wage cap, public sector wage cap, and all that sort of thing. How do we have those debates whilst also being in a business of government, whilst also responding to those big challenges I talked about earlier um, that are affecting our our country? Um, Now, I think we can do it, but that requires, again, people at the top of the party to allow those debates to to happen and to flourish and not not be challenged by them. Uh, because there's some brilliant talent on our benches um, and in our party amongst our candidates um, and they must be allowed to put their views forward um, and some of those views will take hold for the next manifesto and some of them won't. I guess the first kind of big test on, as you say, the public sector pay freeze and issues like that is going to be this evening with the the Labour's amendment. Lib Dems have said they'll support it. It's kind of hard to argue with it in the wake of and the wake of the terrorist attacks. Mm. You know, there's not many people out there, I don't think, who would say, oh no, let's, you know, let's not give the emergency a pay rise. How do you kind of square that? Well, I think tonight on the Queen's Speech, I mean, I have to say, I think that the Labour Party has to be quite careful in this Parliament not just to be seen to be playing politics. Because I think these are bigger issues, and I think that actually, if they are seen all the time only to be in business of trying to trip the government up or something, then actually they're not showing that they've got the ideas to, to tackle these issues. I think what needs to happen, I don't think the amendment will get the support of any Conservative MPs, I don't think it will get passed. But I think in responding to the debate, the government has to show that it understands what people are saying, it understands why the amendment is getting support. It understand, it explains very clearly why there has been a need for a public sector pay cap. Um, and also, uh, you know, what the choices are before it in terms of, of you know, if, if that pay cap is, is, is changed or lifted, then what does that mean for other uh, decisions about public spending? And I think people understand that, um, you know, and I think also explaining it's not that we enjoy, I've been in both the Treasury and also in the Department of Education, where obviously the pay cap applied to teachers, um, and it's not that Conservatives... Um, have any less respect for people working in the public sector or think that actually they don't deserve pay rises because they absolutely do. Um, but obviously it's a huge part of public spending and we've got to get that balance right. There was a point back in 2010 when actually public sector pay was outstripping private sector pay. Now that has beginning to change, plus the inflation rate, so you know, the cost of living is higher. All those things, I think setting out how those calculations are, are made, and they think these things aren't set in stone, that the Treasury does keep them under regular review, um, I think we'll go somewhere to explaining why we're not going to support this amendment, but the issue is very much on the table for the country. Yeah. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.